I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Ireland's Aviation Podcast. The Irish Aviation Authorities recently published a stakeholder consultation on the option to exempt certain light aircraft below 600 kilograms MTOM from EU regulations. There's a really excellent article on flying in Ireland, and Mark Dwyer is joining us now to have a chat about that. Mark, uh, this is really interesting to the, the whole area of 600 kg and 450 kg. Before sure we start is. into the conversation, uh, we suppose we should better declare your interest in the topic. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm the former chairman of the National Microid Association and current head of training at Funfly Air Sports Flying Club. So that, that would, the aircraft that we operate in the Flying Club would benefit from them, from this consultation and the resulting changes in the rules. Now, with, the, I suppose, the chance of being the Montagues and the Capulets in aviation, two families, there's a kind of a, a certified group of, and, and an uncertified group of, of aircraft. What's the difference in this, what distinguishes it? Yeah, so uh, traditionally, most aircraft will be issued with uh, a certificate of airworthiness. So we think of, um, you know, your PA-28s and your Cessna 172s and Cessna 150s, etc. So they would go through, um, so the manufacturer would design the aircraft, it would go through an internationally recognized certification uh, process. And uh, then on the other side, you've got uncertified aircraft, which are not issued with the certificate of airworthiness. And in, in the case of uh, Irish registered uncertified aircraft they'd issue, be issued with a flight permit from the Irish Aviation Authority. Uh, the main difference is you can't really can't operate an uncertified aircraft on a commercial basis. So it could be privately owned or operated in a flying club. Uh, whereas if uh, you were to operate the aircraft commercially, it would need to be certified. The, the, the cost of certification over the years has really skyrocketed. And since IASA came into uh, being in 2004, they um, are effectively applying... Uh, certification requirements for commercial air transport aircraft to general aviation aircraft as well. So from a manufacturer's perspective, it's incredibly expensive to put an aircraft through the process. Mm. And uh, as a result, that drives up the prices. And that's why we've probably seen not that many aircraft certified, um, certainly in Europe over the last 20 years. And it is that as long as that, I mean, if you go, were going back in time, you would have had your Cessnas or your Pipers um, all certified. The uh, the manufacturers went through the whole certification process. And, and then what happened? Was, did home built and the idea of kit change the, that, that prospect? 
Yeah, so well, there's always been home home built aircraft, um, you know, going back years, and you know there was the Popular Flying Association of the UK that um, it's now the Light Aircraft Association that kind of developed in the 50s and 60s. Um, then you have the Experimental Aircraft Association in the US. They've always been very popular to to home build uh, to to kit build effectively your mm. own aircraft. Over the years, then uh, it's kind of developed. So um, while we're looking at the changes in European rules, if we look at it from a, a worldwide perspective in the states they have uh, a light sport category or exper- experimental category uh, over there uh, which is approximately 600 kilos when you convert it from pounds and in australia they have something similar so most of the kind of two-seat aircrafts weight ranges have been in the 600 kilo category uh, where traditionally in europe it's been uh, for 50 kilos and if we go back to the 80s when i suppose uh, flex wing microlites weight shift microlites were, were very popular you know 450 kilos was was plenty mm. and uh, even for the early three axis microlites if you think something like uh, an xr or even the ax2000 or x3 before that they were kind of small 400 kilo machines uh, two stroke engines very simple design uh, but as the designs have developed, uh, technology has come along, uh, four-stroke engines have become lighter and um, still heavier than two-stroke, but the, you know, suddenly you can fit them onto these types of aircraft. They're more powerful, more reliable, more efficient, uh, and, and of course they become more popular. So we've seen um, these type of aircraft grow uh, in weight and in popularity over the last, um, I suppose, 20 years or so. And as a result, now we've got to a stage where they've almost outgrown the, the, the European definition of a microlite, you could say. And you mentioned microlite there. Is there such a category as a microlite? Uh, well, no, effectively. If you look in the EASA rules, if you look in the uh, Irish rules, there, there's no reference to microlite whatsoever. You will find a UK definition of it, uh, but as they're now outside the uh, European Union and outside the scope of EASA, uh, that's kind of irrelevant almost at this stage. So to put it in context, all of these uncertified aircraft fall into a category called Annex 1. What that means is uh, under the EASA rules, or European rules, all aircraft have to be certified, but there's a, a small subsection uh, of the EASA basic regulation, which is how EASA operates. And it says that there are certain aircraft that are exempt from EASA requirements. And we're talking about airworthiness requirements here. So um, they're called Annex 1 aircraft. There's about nine different subsections of that. Things like uh, experimental aircraft where you may only have one or two developed um, for maybe scientific purposes or mm. specially modified for research. Historic aircraft kit built. Microlites, which I'll come on to in a second, yeah. gyroplanes, replicas, that kind of stuff. So they, they don't meet the certified requirements, but you can um, you can still operate them and they're just regulated at national level. So if we were to search in that, we won't find any microlite definition. So they actually come under a section called Annex 1E, which is effectively uh, what we would refer to as microlites, but they're, they're in that category as Annex 1 aircraft. And for anyone listening to us who has a notion that we might be talking about something that is, uh, you know, a fairly flimsy aircraft with maybe the basic of, of instrumentation and engine in it, uh, they're getting a little bit more sophisticated now. Oh, absolutely. And, and we've seen some really uh, impressive designs over the last 20 years or so. So, you know, for all intents and purposes, and, and the aircraft that we're talking about in this particular consultation will be three-axis aircraft, so effectively... Uh, they look like a Cessna 150 or a Cessna mm. 152. So it can be high wing, low wing, metal, tube and fabric, um, even composite aircraft. So the designs have come on a lot. Uh, as a result, there's been weight savings over the years, which allows them to be operated in this, um, in this category. And the engines are light. 
they're efficient. Uh, yeah, they've just become very popular over the last few years. So the issue seems to be if the airplane is built in a factory, then it's restricted as against somebody builds it in their back shed. Yeah, so in order to be an uncertified aircraft, it needs to fit into this uh, Annex 1E category. So if you look at a historic aircraft, well, they're not building them anymore. True. And I think, the, I can't remember the exact definition, but I think the cutoff date was 1973 or 74 and the aircraft's not in production and it meets certain other requirements. Mm. So the, the pool of historic aircraft is getting smaller. Kit-built aircraft, that's as ever, popular as ever, but um, it's not for everybody. Like not all of us uh, have the skills and I include myself in that. For, <laughs> it's quite uh, a commitment, isn't attempting it? Attempting yeah. to yeah. build an aircraft. So if you want to build, buy an aircraft from a factory, uh, it either needs to be effectively below 450 kilos to fit into this Annex 1E category. There's a f- couple of small exemptions. I won't get into the details, but mm. it can be slightly heavier if it's a flow plane or if it's got a ballistic parachute. Ah, but, right, um, okay. Generally, two seats, 450 kilos. Anything after that, then you're into uh, certified territory. So, you know, you're looking at half a million euros upwards for a, a 172 or a PA-28. And there's no middle ground there. So I guess yeah. this is what the, the consultation is, is trying to address. So at the moment, if you want to operate an aircraft that's capable of 600 kg, you have to have had a hand in the building of it. Uh, yes, effectively. Yeah, mm-hmm. And it would have to be... It would have to operate on a flight permit and, yeah, effectively you would have to build it yourself, yeah. So I presume the idea that there's a, people there's talk of an exemption and obviously this consultation process means that something's not right. What, what, what needs to be fixed? So as these aircraft have developed, they've got more equipment in it, they've got um, you know bigger fuel tanks, they've got a little bit heavier. So the, the empty weight of the aircraft has got heavier, but the maximum takeoff weight hasn't. So we've effectively re- reduced the payload. So if you were to put, and I'd say the average weight of a, of a two-seat uh, aircraft in this category at the moment is between probably 270 kilos to mm. 300 kilos empty weight. So it doesn't give you a huge amount of payload then, 150 kilos. Um, That's a pilot per, and a half, isn't it? A pilot and a half and, <laughs> yeah. and a bit of fuel. So, yeah. um, And a lot of these manufacturers uh, have actually designed the aircraft to 600 kilos because they're not just selling them in Europe, they're selling them to Australia and South Africa right. and, and the US and Canada, which they all have different differing weights, but they're around 600 kilos. So in most cases, the structure, the design is all done to 600 kilos, but the they're artificially lowered to fit into the, the European uh, rules. So in essence, you have an airplane that's capable of carrying that weight, but if you were going to operate it precisely, you would probably be limited in terms of range and who you could take with you. Exactly. And, okay. and you know, there, there are certain safety implications there. If you're flying around with them, um, you know, you might have enough fuel capacity for six, seven hours of flying, but you're flying around with an hour, an hour and a half's worth of fuel or two hours worth of fuel, um, trying to jump from place to place and get fuel uh, just to try and keep it under the maximum takeoff weight. So this consultation and if the increase goes ahead, that would allow possibly some extra equipment to be put into the aircraft, some extra safety equipment, uh, which would have to be counted in the basic empty weight and the potential obviously to carry extra fuel as well. So there's lots of lots of benefits uh, for not too many drawbacks. Now, like anything, when regulation starts into the process, uh, you know, it's down to the, the nitty gritty. And what did they say? The devil's in the detail. What What's proposed? So it's worth looking at what the UK have done in this case. So in the UK, um, they have changed their microlight definition to 600 kilos. 
they had a big consultation and lots of feedback and they, they went ahead with the rule change earlier this year the problem in uh but they're outside the eu and they're outside EASA now so they they can effectively do what they want mm. um for us uh EASA have, have chosen not to change annex one so they this annex one e category they haven't changed the definition they haven't changed it to 600 kilos they're just giving each state the option to take let's say aircraft up to 600 kilos under their national rules to to regulate them uh, nationally mm. and the problem here is that um suddenly they're no longer microlites they're no longer annex one aircraft and they fall into some kind of unknown category in between which throws up some licensing issues then as well oh when we look at those in a minute so i suppose what i'm curious about is why isn't there a more direction on this or why isn't somebody making a, a clear decision on it well unfortunately it's probably a european issue yeah. um because there's, there's lots of politics at play uh, of course manufacturers the bigger manufacturers want to protect the ground because they have ah, spent a lot of yeah. money in in certifying the aircraft so they want to keep that market for themselves whereas the smaller manufacturers obviously want to get into this category and of course i think historically a lot of people have looked down on microlites um, <laughs> because I, i'm not really sure why to be honest because they you know they are airplanes mm-hmm. in the uh, in the ico definition so uh, I'm not really sure where that's come from, but there was you know some political wrangling at uh, at European level when they changed the basic regulation in 2018. So unfortunately, we're we're left with a situation that's uh, quite complex and it's not as easy as it seems. So for uh, lots of pilots around the country, they're going to be looking at this and they're probably mm-hmm. going to be saying, "Well, why is this so complicated?" And unfortunately, we need to balance EASA rules versus Irish national rules. And well. what is that distinction? I mean, in, can we in Ireland operate without EASA, or do we operate in parallel with them? Uh, how does that work? Well, it's almost in parallel when we look at uh, national rules. So, for example, uh, we mentioned the um, Fun Fly Air Sports. We have the Savan mm. S that we operate there, so they're operating on a flight permit. Same things in in Abbey Shrule. They've got the Samba XXL and you know various other aircraft like Eurostars and Sky Rangers and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. They operate on a flight permit. So from an airworthiness perspective, they're regulated by the IAA, usually through an organisation like the National Microlight Association of Ireland. I'd say it operates in parallel because when the aircraft takes off, it still needs to comply with the ASA rules of the air. When most pilots are flying them with the ASA licenses, therefore they need to comply with the ASA licensing requirements. So it's not quite as, as black and white, but from from purely an airworthiness perspective, they're regulated nationally by the IAA. And that brings me to the idea then at this stage that some people might have been, when, when they heard this news, they might have gone, oh, that's great. We're, we're going to have our airplanes now up to 600 kg. Uh, isn't that great? Let's celebrate and off we go. Yeah, and uh, it is. I, I think it's good. There, like I say, there there are some drawbacks. Um, so it's worth pointing out initially that there's no. If we go ahead with this opt out, and uh, there's nothing automatic about it. If you're flying around in your your two seat aircraft and you have a, a max uh, takeoff weight of four fifty kilos, it's going to stay at four fifty kilos. So mm-hmm. if you want to increase it to six hundred, a number of things have to happen. One, the the, the design has to be. The, the the aircraft has to be designed to that weight or, or it could be an intermediate weight as well um i think for a while a lot of the french aircraft were built to something like 540 kilos so because of the various rules around the years uh, around the world i should say there's um there's various different weights so it's not necessarily 600 could be up to 600 but some aircraft particularly the home-built ones they have various options you know heavy undercarriage or heavy duty undercarriage bigger wheels etc mm. etc so one you're going to have to ensure the design is uh, to 600 or somewhere in between that any modifications required are included and assuming all that's the case then you would have to apply uh, to the IA to have 
the permit or the certificate of registration updated to the um the new higher weight and you do that through yeah. your your airworthy association we'll continue this conversation after this short break when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at bluenile.com you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now, I'm nearly nervous of going near this at all because it gives you the heebie-jeebies, which is licensing. What yeah. could actually happen if uh, somebody, you know, has a, has a license and they get their aircraft recategorized uh, is the possibility they mightn't be licensed to fly it anymore? As things currently stand, yeah. So it's it's. I should point out that this is purely an airworthiness consultation. Right. So there's, there's nothing really in it. Like there is a few references to licensing in it, but it's purely airworthiness. We're talking about the aircraft itself. But yes, it does throw up the issue if it's a new category uh, or subcategory of aircraft. Then how? is that uh, managed from a licensing point of view. So it won't be a microlight. So if you have a microlight license, you won't be able to fly it as things currently stand. Right. Okay. Historically in Ireland, anyone with a, a Group A license, as you used to be called, so basically your normal Cessnas and Pipers, mm-hmm. uh, you couldn't fly microlight aircraft. There was a change about six or seven years ago where uh, IAA published uh, Notice P24, which allowed EASA license holders with uh, CP privileges to fly three axis aircraft. But again, uh, that would have to be updated to reflect this new category. So as things currently stand, if you had an EASA license, you couldn't fly these aircraft. Um, and then uh, a lot of people in this country fly uh, the, on the NPPL, the UK NPPL, with microlight mm-hmm. privileges. Again, it's not a microlight, so you wouldn't be covered there. So from my reading of the rules, the only type of license that could operate it at the moment would be an Irish national license. 
So that may be the national license with uh, with or without restricted privileges. Now, I'd expect that the notices will be updated and that would cover uh, EASA license holders and uh, potentially even UK license holders. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anybody with the word microlight written, written on their license could be in trouble there because uh, as things stand, there's no, um, um, there will be... I should say the license itself is, is limited to microlight. So if you're not flying a microlight, then technically you can't be flying it. And Mark, I know there's a handful of people who have no bother at all doing an L exam or an occasional uh, flight test, proficiency test, but a lot of people mightn't be that enthusiastic. Would there be a possibility that people might have to uh, reapply or requalify then? Well, I guess this is a part of the consultation. So I would encourage as many people as possible to reply to this it's it's not too onerous i think there's only nine nine questions on it some of them are pretty basic but if you have you know a microite license or a uk nppl or whatever it is you, you should reply to this and say that you know you, you you want grandfather rights or you want to be um you want your privileges extended or you want to notice change to make sure you can still fly your aircraft mm-hmm. and, and and that's important to uh to highlight to people but as things currently stand um yeah there, there, there may be issues with uh with licenses let's talk about that consultation process because we'll put a link uh, obviously under the podcast as well where people can go directly to it uh, and indeed to your article uh, in flying in Ireland, but um, you've been involved in a few of these before. Uh, how does it work? So uh, at the moment, there's a consultation document uh, published. There's a link in the article. Uh, it's on the IA website as well. You can read that document for yourself and everybody's going to have their own opinion on it. It's going to affect lots of different people in lots of different ways. So you really need to look at it from your own perspective and see how it's going to affect your aircraft, how it's going to affect your license and the way that you operate. And I should say that there's nothing automatic about this. So this is just giving people the option mm. To increase the 600 kg if you don't want to do it and you want to you know stick to uh, as you are that's fine you can you can do that so uh there is a um like i say on the in the consultation document there's a link you can click on that it brings you to a page in the ia website so it'll just ask you simple things like uh, your background so are you a pilot instructor flying club member etc etc uh asking you straight question do you, do you believe we should opt out or not yes mm-hmm. or no uh, any comments so that's where you'd want to put in um, things like, um, you know, how it might affect your license, how it might affect uh, your aircraft, if there's any uh, anything specific to your situation uh, that you recommend or wouldn't recommend. It's worth putting it in there as well. Then uh, if there's any additional risks, they'll ask you about that. So just to try to get uh, your opinion on that uh, and any safety mitigations and any further comments then that you may have. Uh, and then just a, a, an email address at the end to... to um, to submit the application. Does this uh, affect inspectors as well, aircraft inspectors? It does. So um, for anyone that, that's not familiar with the uh, national flight permit system, you can apply to the IA for a flight permit for your aircraft if you want. It's quite expensive because you need to pay for one of their inspectors to come down and um, look at your aircraft. The common uh, procedure is for you to join um, an organisation like the Michael Art Association of Ireland or the ILAS, the Irish Light Aviation Society. Once your aircraft is on their list of approved types or accepted types, then you um, would do the maintenance or build the aircraft or import it, whatever you need to do get an inspector from one of those associations to look over the aircraft ensure the you know logbooks are up to date uh, the maintenance has been completed and then have a look around the aircraft to make sure there's no issues with it and then based on that they make a recommendation for 
uh, a flight permit to uh, the organization and then on to the IEA. So it's a much cheaper way of doing it. Uh, so these inspectors, um, they're generally voluntary or they get paid maybe, um, you know, travel expenses, that kind of stuff. They Some of them do have a background in engineering, uh, aviation engineering specifically, but others don't. They've just been in the sport a long time. They know the engines and all the airframes, etc. There is um, a section that deals with this in the consultation where it's saying that we may need to look at uh, higher levels of qualification for inspectors. And that may be an issue because uh, as I see it on this consultation that the, the types of aircraft we're looking at here they're not going to drastically uh, change it's the same aircraft just operating at the higher weights we may see some other types of aircraft come in but they're all going to be approximately the same design same engines that kind of stuff so i don't personally i don't think there's any reason to increase the qualification of the inspectors but it does ask that in the consultation mark i was interested to read in the article in flying in ireland that there was approximately 300 aircraft flying on that permit system in Ireland at the moment. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's about 300 registered. So they're not, they're probably not all in, in permit at the same time, but there'll be a large proportion that would be flying or in, in flyable state. And the thing is with uh, certified aircraft, they're very expensive to maintain. Uh, you need uh, an EASA engineer to, an EASA qualified engineer to look after the aircraft and the maintenance organization. The flight permit system gives um, the responsibility of maintenance, the maintenance of the aircraft to the owner. So they can carry out a lot of the tasks themselves, the basic tasks. If there's more specific tasks required, then they mm. can be outsourced to a specialist like engine work, etc. But um, it's a lot more affordable. But yeah. historically, that's been very well handled, I think, by the owners anyway. You know, oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. It's been, you know, if we look at, you know, incidents and accidents always come up in these kind of discussions there. Mm. But there's no, uh, and actually the EAA uh, carried out a very interesting study in the States that uh, homeless aircraft are no more dangerous than their certified equivalents. Right. Um, and as we know from accidents, a lot of accidents are human factors related. Mm. So it's more to mm. do with the pilot themselves rather than the um, the, the hardware behind oh, it. In my time around uh, aircraft like that, you can certainly see that uh, owners and builders are extremely thorough before because they're the ones taking it up in the air. Absolutely. And you find owners ones, yeah. are extremely proud of their aircraft yes. as well. Yeah, yeah, so they yeah. always, uh, and they know it, they, they know it best. So if something's broken, if they hear rattle, they know what it is, they'll mm. fix it straight mm. away. And uh, of course, yeah, if you're flying the aircraft, you're bringing family and friends, you have a, a, an extreme vested interest, let's just say, in making sure that but, the aircraft is... But that uh, figure of 300, you know, if you even just multiply that by four about the number of people who might be around an aeroplane or who don't own their own aircraft, it's certainly a, a, it's a sizable number of people should be in this consultation process by the sound of it. Absolutely. And a lot of people have put a lot of work into this in the background. You know, in the Michael Association, we have been asking for this for quite a while. So it's important. Uh, and to be fair to the authority, they've put some work into this. They have listened. They have seen that there's a, a demand for this. But if they don't get feedback from the community, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, it may be shelved. So I'd ask anyone listening, if you operate these aircraft or even if you have an interest in operating them, because this is going to open up. Uh, a huge range of new aircraft and, and more aircraft for people right. to fly. So if mm. um, if you have an interest, definitely uh, respond. So it's not really about a gotcha to the regulators. It, it's uh, it, by, by catching them out on, on, on discrepancies, but it's certainly about bringing it to their attention anyway. 
Absolutely, yeah. 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 It's interesting, just, you know, when you talk about laws and good laws and bad laws, but any law that, uh, or, or regulations that, that encourage people to uh, to work around the edge of it is always something to be avoided. Because I'm thinking about, you know, if you mention an aircraft with 450 kg uh, on the sur- uh, on its uh, on its permit, um, and then as I say, you put, you know, a, a 100 kilo pilot and a, and a 70 year, uh, kilo passenger and a bit of fuel, um, but the airplane we know is capable of 600 uh, people might sort of look sideways at it. Yeah, and, and this is the difficulty, and I'm sure it's happening uh, around the country because it's very hard to tell somebody, you know, your aircraft is, is fully capable of, of lifting 600 kilos, but mm. for uh, paperwork reasons, it's reduced to 450. And, uh, you know, it really does seem a shame, especially if you need to carry extra fuel. We all know the weather is not perfect in Ireland a lot of the time. Um, and you need a bit of extra time to deviate or extra fuel to get around weather. So, yeah, it does seem absolutely crazy that we are artificially lowering um, the weights of, of these aircraft to fit them uh, into effectively a paperwork exercise so i think that that would be the big pro from uh, my perspective is that um now we can operate the aircraft legally um yeah. up to its maximum well if you, if you think about the difference between you know uh, say an xair and then a savannah at 450 and 600 there's very little difference in the handling isn't there from the savannah perspective yeah well this is uh, and this is the the example i use uh, in the article so um, my first share in an aircraft was an XR 5A2. For anyone that's not familiar with it, I uh, often describe it as a flying tent. Um, it's, uh, with a special it's, sound. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, they're interesting. They're great fun to fly, yeah. but you'll get nowhere fast. Yeah. Um, uh, 50 miles an hour is the magic number. It climbs at 50, cruises at 50, descends at 50, lands at 50. That's just uh, how it works. But great fun to fly. But it has uh, interesting uh, characteristics and, and nothing special, but... Uh, it's got a high mounted engine, so a high thrust line. So when you add power, the nose pitches down. When you reduce power, the nose pitches up. Where mm. with most other aircraft, it's the other way around. Yet you can jump from uh, an XR 5A2 with a two stroke engine and uh, all that goes with that into a brand new um, Savannah or a Samba or something like that with completely different handling characteristics. Yet it's still within the same class. Whereas uh, as things currently stand, if we were again take the, the Savannah, for example, operating at 450 kilos. We increase it to 600 kilos. It's still the same aircraft. Yeah. It's still the uh, same empty weight of the aircraft. But now suddenly there's a potential that you might need an additional license to fly it, which uh, just seems crazy. And you have to remember what your right foot is for as well. I, exactly. I heard a, a pilot today described to be the uh, third secret of Fatima, which was the speed that you only need to remember for all aircraft is 140 knots. Well, the, that kind of puts your 50 in the shade. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mark, that was a very interesting insight into it. As I said, it's something probably not to be ignored, particularly by the aviation community as we get into the winter. Going to take, what, five minutes to uh, fill in that form and at least you will have contributed to, to the consultation process. Yeah, so I just finished with saying that the uh, the consultation's open until the 24th of November, so don't leave it to the last minute to put in your consultation or put in your comments. But um, yeah, there's a link in the article and it's on the IA website as well. And um, yeah, if you take five minutes to, to fill in uh, seven questions there, it won't take you too long. But it's important that everybody has their say because this is going to affect lots of different people in lots of different ways. It's a huge opportunity for General Aviation Ireland, so uh, let's not let it pass. And before we leave it, Mark, can you update us on the uh, airspace 
uh, process what's that? that's a consultation as well is it yeah so that's so the the comments have just closed for the latest round uh, in that so there was a team's meeting by the IA a couple of weeks ago and uh, with all the feedback they have decided that they're going to delay the implementation of the airspace uh, changes until uh, September or October next year so there were quite a significant amount of changes with the airspace that just popped up uh, in mid-October out of nowhere uh, particularly around the Waterford and the Kerry areas and uh, that's had a huge impact on um, the hang gliding and paragliding community so uh, they're going to take them comments away uh, they're going to run another uh, workshop um, webinar type uh, thing in February next year and we'll get an update then on what the process is but there's, there's no other details apart from it's delayed for six months until approximately September October next year that's great Mark I'll see you at the airfield with the weighing scales then so right great stuff <laughs> look forward to it take care to get the news first subscribe now to Squawk 7000 on your favourite podcast platform. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.